Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Just Films and That with me, Josh Hallam. And me, Alice Oliver. This is the podcast where we talk about films that we think are underrated, underappreciated, or we just wanted to talk about them. We're also going to get stuck into some classic films that one of us maybe hasn't seen and maybe throw in some great guests along the way. So we'll start, as we do every week, with a random question. Alice, is there a band or artist who are sort of wildly successful, but you don't like for whatever reason? So there is one that comes to mind. I'm going to preface this with saying that I totally can see that these, this it's a band. I can totally see that this band works incredibly hard and is incredibly engaging with their fans and are really electric on stage. And I can totally see that and appreciate that. But I think the Foo Fighters are really overrated. I feel like every time a new Foo Fighters song comes out, people go absolutely berserk for it. And I'm like, it just feels pretty basic to me. And now I think Dave Grohl is fantastic and he has worked so hard over the years and obviously coming from the trauma that was Nirvana and what happened to Kurt Cobain to then create something that is like so monumental of modern rock. I totally appreciate that and I have so much respect for him and every time I hear him in an interview, I think, oh, what a dude. Like he's just everyone's like favourite American uncle sort of thing. (laughs) But I just feel like the songs, they're just a bit basic for me and I would never choose to listen to them Like whenever I listen to Radio X a lot, um, which for people who don't live in the UK is like our alternative rock radio station. Um, And I listen to that all the time and they play loads of Foo Fighters. And I'm like, to me, there's just better bands out there with similar sounds, but are like doing better things. Um, So yeah, that's uh, going to get me in a lot of trouble because I know a lot of people love the Foo Fighters. But yeah, they were the first ones that came to mind. What about you? Who's yours? We here at Just Films and Light would like to distance ourselves from the comments made by Alice on our most recent episode. Totally. Fair enough. I totally understand. (laughs) uh, Mine's probably even more controversial. Oh, but No, it's a bit different because I don't completely dislike them. Mm -hmm. But I don't like quite a lot of songs by Queen. Ah, okay. I don't know what it is because I love some songs, but I don't know if it's because some of them are overplayed. I don't know if some of them are just not my taste, 
there's a couple of, you know, like, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of examples. Like, there's just a few, like, Don't Stop Me Now, I think, is is a good one because that was overplayed so much, like, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I've never been able to get over that. So, like, when that comes on, if you're ever at a function, party, wedding, whatever, it, it, I don't know, it's a bit like when Don't Stop Believing came out. It just makes me go, oh, I've heard this so many times. Like, I can't yeah. bother with it. Yeah, it's um, too much, isn't it? It's, it is just too much of a good thing. Like, if you'd have heard that sort of when Queen were in their heyday, and imagine hearing that for the first time, you'd have been like, oh my God, like the mm. energy in it, like it's so vibrant. It's such a great tune. Mm. But it's been so popular for so long that it comes on again and it's just like, oh, like, is, is you know, you, you it loses the magic, I think. So we'll move on to this week's film, which is Vertigo from 1958 by Alfred Hitchcock and starring Jimmy Stewart. Now, this was Josh's pick. So, Josh, tell us, what is it about and why did you pick it? So Vertigo is uh, about, as you say, Jimmy Stewart plays a detective named Scotty who's recently retired from the San Francisco police due to a sort of crippling fear of heights, which is then bringing on Vertigo, hence the title. Um, He's hired by an old college friend to follow um, his friend's wife, who is acting strangely. And then as the case sort of starts to unravel, Scotty finds himself becoming more and more obsessed with his target and the circumstances in which he finds himself. Um, So that's what it's about. Um, Now, I picked it because um, it's a classic film. Um, And I wanted to do another classic film because obviously we brought them in and stuff. And And I know that this is always up there with best film of all time. I think it was a few years ago, I think it toppled Citizen Kane for um, best film of all time in possibly, I think it was Sight and Sound magazine. I knew about the plot, but I'd never actually seen it before. I always get it mixed up with Rear Window, which is another Hitchcock film. And we also hadn't done a Hitchcock film yet. So I thought, you know, why why not? You know, he's one of the greats. So as we're doing these classic films, let's um, let's let's tackle a Hitchcock film. Um, I should say before we start, by the way, I do have a, I, I do have a cold. Um, so if I, if I sound... Like absolute boiled shit. Um, it's because he doesn't. That's just his normal yeah. voice. Yeah, that's just what it sound like. Yeah, it's just what it sound like. Um, but I'll try and keep the sniffling to a minimum. But um, yeah, Alice, had you <laughs> had you seen this one before? So I had seen it. I had seen it either at university or at college. I can't remember where, but I studied film at both. And this was one that we did for one of our modules. Unfortunately, I can't remember what module it was for. Um, and I remember it being, I, th- I thought it was like three hours long. I remembered it being so, so long, which then made me think, oh, maybe I didn't enjoy it. And then that's why it felt so long. Uh, I sort of vaguely remembered the premise, but couldn't remember sort of tons and tons of detail about it. Uh, So I was excited to watch it again because like you say, it is one that always pops up. I feel like the sort of the DVD cover or like the poster of it, of that sort of silhouetted figure falling down a, like a, the sort of shaft, I suppose it is, isn't it? That's Mm, that's mm. in the church. That's quite iconic. Mm. And that sort of pops up in places in sort of pop culture references. I mean, I'm sure I've seen it where I get most of my pop culture references, The Simpsons or Family Guy <laughs> or Futurama, one of those. Um, so yeah, I was excited to watch this one again. So you said you hadn't seen it. So how did you feel coming away from it? Did it meet your expectations of what it could be? So I was a little disappointed. Ooh. I was a little disappointed. Not look, I'll preface this by saying, as we've said many a time, it is clearly a classic for a reason. 
I didn't, and, and I could see the reasons why it was a classic and its influence and its legacy is there for everyone to see. But in terms of when we watch other classic films, for example, um, The Great Dictator, that had something for me, that had some magic, whereas there were some elements of this where, I don't know it, if it, I was a little bored in places or it just didn't quite grab me as much as, as I wanted it to. There was plenty to enjoy. There was plenty to enjoy. Um, but overall... I was, I was slightly, I was slightly disappointed, slightly bored, um, and there was and 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 it wasn't as gripping as I thought it would be. That being said, there was loads that I did like. What about you? Uh, so I suppose kind of similar to what you're saying. Um, I'm not sure if bored was maybe the right word, but it certainly lacked the same kind of pace and I would definitely say lacked the magic like you say thinking about something like the great dictator um that just felt like you it just felt like monumental I know it sounds like so weird and dramatic but it just there was something about it and even similar with gentlemen prefer blondes like it just I was so engaged with those films and with this I think maybe I wasn't as engaged but like you said there was plenty about it to enjoy. Um, I thought it was quite experimental in places. It felt that way. It sort of opens and you get these almost like animated scenes of like these spirals and almost like um, trying to articulate how it feels to be going mad. Obviously, the film deals massively with mental illness and your sort of mental deterioration in terms of vertigo, but also with uh, Madeline's character who her husband believes she is channeling her it's her great great grandmother or something yeah, and yeah. is trying to convince her to kill herself and all this and it raises a lot of questions it's like well is this kind of like generational trauma that's being passed down to her or is she you know is she sort of going mad and having these blackout moments where she doesn't really remember what's happening so i enjoyed that it it did deal with mental health and i it, i don't think i was expecting that from a film so old it's like you hear all the time now that we're only just coming to grips with mental health and just sort of appreciating and understanding how diverse and complex it can be so it was just interesting to see that in something that is regarded did one of these like classic you know greatest of all time sort of films um did you expect it to sort of delve into those topics as much as it did obviously with the name vertigo we knew it was to do with that phobia specifically but it really kind of went a bit further than that i thought it, no no i didn't i so I, like, I i expected it to be a sort of thriller i expected it to probably be and set the template for a sort of modern day thriller um, which it did in many ways. And when I when I say I was bored and disappointed, I think I probably went in with sky-high expectations, which is the downside of mm. dealing with these classic films is sometimes mm. they just can't live up to the expectation they expect because you perhaps expect them to you, 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 the, be these life-firming experiences, which which they're not. There's, you know, a lot of them are designed to entertain and 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 to make money. So, but back to your point about mental health, no, I didn't expect that. I expected a lot of to stuff dealing with you know actual vertigo which i knew was would be in the film from the fact that like i say its legacy is clear from from the fact that it's you know it's it's over 60 years old i thought it was interesting like you said that it dealt with mental health and from different perspectives so you've got scotty who is he's dealing with his vertigo he's dealing with almost like a ptsd type thing with because he, he loses a colleague at the start of the of the film which is what um which is what leads him to retire, and then he then he has this dark journey into obsession, uh, and then you also have Madeline's character, like you say, who who deals with, um, yeah, not quite clear what it is because obviously because of what happens at the end, because of the twist, 
it's not actually clear what that character, who she was supposed to be, was dealing with, but it certainly deals with elements of sort of, I guess, depression or being sort of maybe maybe BPD, that sort of thing. But I, I thought that was really interesting. Like you say, you don't associate films that are this old with dealing with that sort of thing, but it very much does, and it doesn't shy away from it. Um, so I did, I, I thought that was interesting. I thought the, the performances of the two leads was really good. I thought Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak were really good. I'd not seen Jimmy Stewart in much before, other than I think probably It's a Wonderful Life is the only other thing I've really seen him in. And I hadn't seen Kim Novak in anything. And I thought both of them did a really great job, as well as the supporting cast as well. But I thought they were both really great. Jimmy Stewart's just a, he's a great everyman, isn't he? Um, he's like a, you know, he's like his days, Tom Hanks or or, or whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, that's a great that's a great way to describe yeah. him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I thought Kim Novak was, you know, she's this sort of stunningly, like, beautifully mercurial, mysterious woman who has a lot to do with not that much dialogue. You know, she doesn't oh, speak for, for, for a lot of the, I think it's the first third or first half of the film. She just does a lot of the camera just following around and, that's no easy feat to do a lot of acting with your eyes and a lot of acting with your with, with your face. I mean, what do you think of the performances? Yeah, really good. And and like you said, there was there were quite a few sequences where there was no dialogue whatsoever, and a really long one towards the beginning. So where Scotty is first hired by I want to say Elster, who who mm. hires him like his old his old friend or something, um, hires him to you know tail his wife Madeline or the woman who is pretending to be his wife, as we find out later, um, and. It's just him following her all the time, like through these different locations. So, I mean, a brilliant way to see kind of San Francisco. So obviously it's set in San Francisco, which, you know, if a Hollywood film isn't set in New York, it's set in San Francisco. Mm, mm. And visually that's really pleasant. Like I love looking at the streets and the buildings and the bridge and the coast. It all looks wonderful. So you get these really long sequences where he's following her around and he's driving in his car following her. And then he's like creeping around corners following her. They go into the gallery, they go into a cemetery, like loads of different locations that we get to really build, to try and build an idea of her and try and understand what her problem is, what is she thinking, what's going through her mind. And he sort of pieces it together as the audience does. Like he sees us sitting in the gallery looking at the portrait of Carlotta, who's her great-great-grandmother. Um, and he notices that her hair is done in the same way and that she goes and buys flowers that she's holding in the portrait. And so you're kind of getting these ideas of, oh, okay, so maybe she thinks she is Carlotta. Maybe she's possessed by Carlotta. Or maybe there's this kind of generational trauma thing that is like passed down to her that she's now sort of reliving in her own mind. And I thought all of that was really interesting. And you get quite a nice character development between the two of them. There's a nice moment where, um, so Madeline has thrown herself into the sea, into the bay, um, just near the San Francisco uh, Golden Gate Bridge. And Scotty jumps in to save her and he takes her back to his house. And they have kind of this relationship building moment where he's asking her loads of questions and sort of says things like, oh, I've been to this gallery and I've been here. And she's like, oh yeah, I've never been. I've only driven past. And we know that that's not true because we've seen her in these locations or we've seen her doing these things already in the film. So then you think, 
oh, wow, so is she, has she forgotten or is she lying? And it just conjures up so many questions about her character. And you can really see, I think Jimmy Stewart is really kind of emotive in these instances where you can see like that he doesn't quite believe what she's saying. And it's like, he almost thinks, is she lying? Is she just gone mad? Like he can't differentiate between the two. And then obviously he ends up falling obsessively in love with her incredibly quickly mm. naughty <laughs> yeah that is a, that is an interesting point which I do want to call back to but you I completely agree with you about the point about San Francisco because it's a really interesting choice because I was reading around the film that it's based on a book which I think is set in Paris it's certainly it's certainly set in France um but they moved it to San Francisco obviously because it's an American film but also because San Francisco is really hilly Mm. And it, obviously Vertigo is a whole thing about heights. So that's ah. quite an interesting stylistic choice. But you are right, you do oh, get these, yeah. the, you get some really interesting direction in terms of the way the scenes are framed. And there's a lot of scenes. There's a lot of quite long scenes with lots of dialogue. Like there's a big scene at the beginning between Scotty and Midge, his sort of, um, I think she's like his ex-girlfriend, but now friend. Yeah, ex-fiance. Yeah, think. but they they're were now engaged, just, weren't they? just sort of friends, I think they're meant to be, aren't they? And um, there's big, long scenes of sort of dialogue with all the exposition at the beginning. And then there's long periods, like you say, of him just following Madeline around San Francisco with lots of different shots of skyscrapers or long country roads or the the mission that they go to, which is out on the outskirts of San Francisco. So I thought that that was really interesting. Um, and I think you, I think I agree as well. It really captures obsession quite well in that there are lots of scenes where things happen and because it's directed and written in such a way that you're, you view everything through Scotty's eyes, that a lot of that is down to the script. A lot of that is that to, to James Stewart's really brilliant performance because a lot, of, like I say, a lot of lingering shots just on his face, reacting to stuff that you can't see, and then it shows at you. Um, so there's things like him following her in a car, or there's a bit where he, he seems to tailor to a hotel, which she then seems to go into and be there, but then not there. And it's and those things are never, it's almost never actually clarified. So so on purpose, so that you are discovering you only know what Scotty knows which I think is, is is really interesting. So it does capture that obsession um, by, by framing it in such a way. And there's a lot of really great tension building in the script as well. And that, I think, really great use of, of music as well. Like, it's got mm. some... Hitchcock films use music like like no one else to, to an impact for me. You know, if you think of yeah. Psycho or this mm -hmm. or The Birds or other Hitchcock films, the music is so unsettling or you know whatever they want the music to do it does you know there's a lot of scenes in this where if the score isn't so good it's nowhere near as unsettling but it really mm. is quite life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Impactful, the music, I'd say. What would you say? Oh, yeah, definitely. And it just... It brings the scene together and the emotions in the scene together so, so brilliantly. I think I've mentioned before that it gets a bit annoying. Like, there are films that I've watched where there's music all the time and it's a bit irritating because Mm. it's really kind of indicating to the audience, you're meant to feel sad now, you're meant to feel happy now, you're meant to feel scared now or whatever. But when Hitchcock does it, and especially in Vertigo, it it works to enhance it. It never becomes boring. It never becomes overdone and it never gets annoying. Mm. It just always really works. And you try and imagine some of those scenes without the score and you just think it wouldn't have the same feeling. And because some things happen that do feel a bit creepy. Like you just said, when she goes to that that kind of hotel or where she's renting a room and then Jimmy follows, Scotty, sorry, Scotty follows her in. Um, and he says to the woman at the desk, like, oh, where's the woman in the room? I can't remember the exact number, but it's like room like 237. And it's like, oh, she hasn't been here today. And he's like, what? Like, I just saw her go up the stairs. And then the music really adds to the feeling of like, did we just see mm. that? Like, have we just seen a ghost? Have we imagined it? Is she in cahoots with this woman at the at the front desk to say, if anyone, you know, if anyone calls for me, don't you dare say that I'm here or whatever. And the music just does this all the way through. And it just... It it just fits so well and it's put together so well in a way that it just enhances what's going on on screen without either overshadowing it or just making it too obvious and just kind of a bit annoying. No, I I, I, agree, I completely agree. And I also, I love, the, with the music as well, like you say, I love the opening titles and the sequence where um, it's got the sort of animations and the, like you say, it's like yeah. the, it's like the, um, the scene where he's supposed to be, I guess, going mad. Uh, in a sort of almost Shakespearean sense, isn't it? That you see all these images, and I really, um, I really enjoyed that with the music. It's quite the opening titles are quite discombobulating. You know, it's quite strange to see something from so long ago that has such an impact on on you watching it now. Um, mm. I think, it, I mean, it does. It definitely sets a template for what other films have tried to achieve and got nowhere near and like you say a lot of that is down to the attention to detail the music the script the tension building the framing of the shots i thought it was i thought i did think it was yeah yeah, it's really interesting yeah the framing as well that was one of the things i put down it just every shot just felt really intentional and you got some really um like beautiful 
painted backdrops, I guess they are. So a lot of the times the characters would be stood near a window. So we've got the scenes that, you know, towards the beginning, we're, we're in Midge's, it's either her flat or like her studio or something, but there's a window like looking out over San Francisco and the blinds are open and you've got this great, what I assume is a painting of what the landscape would look like to kind of act as your view outside the window. And this happens over and over again. Pretty much any time a character is near a window, the blinds are open and you can see and you're given this brilliant visual of what's outside. And I just thought they didn't have to do that. Like, especially in the scenes that are happening at night. So when Scotty takes Madeline back to his uh, house after she jumped in the bay, that's at night time. And you've got this great external um, sort of scenery. And do, are they paintings? Do you think so, they're paintings? I mean, they look like paintings to me. So I believe that the shot you're referring to with the background of San Francisco is not painted. I believe it's... Oh a, so I believe that's a real place because I think <gasps> you can go there. Oh, wow. But I, 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 think, I think a lot of them will be painted. Yeah. Or... or whatever the technique was back then, I'm not entirely sure, but... Yeah, some, some kind of green screen. Yeah, but that just goes to... Yeah, whether it's green screen projection, paintings, mm. whether it's real, I'm not too sure. But the fact of the matter is, is some of them are real and some of them are painted or some of them are, mm. are fabricated and you can't tell the difference between the two from what I could tell. Yeah, and it, they didn't have to do that. Like, you could close the blinds, you could close the curtains and we'd be none the wiser. But the fact that they went into the effort to doing that, I just really appreciated that. Another thing I really liked was how Scotty was just so iconically a PI, like with the hat, with the suit, with the way he spoke, almost with the way he moved even. It was all just so like straight out of a textbook, like this is what you want your detective guy to look like. I really like that. Um, the other thing that I did really like as well is that it doesn't finish on a happy ending. It's pretty damn bleak. And you're also still left with a few questions at the end. But obviously, so they drive to the church where he believes... So towards the end, we discover... So Madeline, they believe, has died, or Scotty believes that Madeline has died by throwing herself off the roof of a church. Um, and he meets this new woman. It's called Judy, right? She then becomes that character. Uh, so he meets a woman called Judy who looks exactly like her and he becomes obsessed with her. And then he discovers that actually that is Madeline and Judy and they are one and the same and they are the same person. And then he gets a bit angry about this. So he then drives Judy to the location where Madeline allegedly threw herself off the roof and committed suicide. And they get there and he's able to kind of overcome his vertigo because of the kind of anger he feels, I guess. Gets to the top and then Judy gets scared by a nun who's like in the dark and sort of comes out. And then she ends up throwing herself off the roof. So you've got this like weird, like almost double suicide thing that's happened. Obviously, Madeline hasn't actually killed herself, but we've got the you kind of see that happening in the first instance and you're led to believe that it's happened. And then Judy ends up doing it anyway. And it's just this really interesting sort of version of events repeating themselves. And that's interesting when you hark back to the whole Carlotta thing of like this generational trauma and kind of trauma just passing down and history sort of repeating itself. So it ends on a really bleak note. And I just kind of like that because it's so rare that films do that. Like even in this day and age, I mean, obviously if you go into more sort of art house and more left field cinema, I'm sure you will find much more bleak endings. But in terms of mainstream, and especially in terms of a film that is regarded as, like you said, one of the greatest of all time, it's bleak as hell. And I just kind of like that. So it's, it's interesting that you say that because my interpretation of the ending, which is an interpretation, is, is that the nun comes up and startles Judy 
and she falls and it's sort of meant to have a quite tragic sense to it because obviously she has been impersonating a woman who was thrown in inverted, in inverted commas, thrown herself off a church tower when in fact her husband has already killed her, thrown her body out the church tower and Judy slash Madeline is pretending to be her to give the illusion that she has done so. So she runs up the steps knowing Scotty can't follow her and then to replace her, Gavin, who is the guy who hires um, Scotty, throws the body at the church. And I think it's meant to be quite tragic that she then falls out almost uh, in the same way. That's my interpretation anyway. No, maybe. Maybe I just, maybe I'm inferring things or maybe I just kind of missed a moment. But yeah, maybe she she probably does fall. Because I did think it was a bit odd that she would just jump. Mm. <laughs> like that didn't quite make sense. But no, yeah, what you're saying makes much more sense. But that's interesting because it's a 60 odd year old film and we're still talking about the ending. So we'll move on to talk about anything that we didn't like about the film. Josh, would you like to go first? Was there anything that really stood out to you that you just kind of thought, oh, would like to change that or were less impressed with? Yeah, so there was there was a few places where, for me, it was a little dull. There was a few shots and a few sequences that were, I thought were a bit longer than they needed to be. Like I said earlier, there was a lot of long, there was a lot of scenes of a lot of dialogue and then a lot of scenes of not a lot of dialogue. And I don't know if this just says something about my attention span. I don't know if it's because I'm not going to lie. I watched this yesterday when I had this cold. So that might have informed my opinion. I don't know the fact that I was a bit knackered. <laughs> but um, I, yeah, so there's some scenes where it was, a, it was a, a little dull and a little boring where I thought it could have done a little less lingering and a little more progression, a little bit more sort of action. Not action in a traditional action film sense, but you know, it could have moved it along a little bit more. Uh, as a little unsure, and we've already alluded to this, so I'd be interested to get your take on it, of just how quickly he became obsessed with Madeline. Because I know that he's meant to be quite emotionally fragile and vulnerable because he's been through a lot, as is shown in the film, but he becomes very obsessed with this woman. Um, and I know a lot of, of his behavior is informed by mental health, but a lot of it is also still quite questionable. I don't know, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, interesting. I did think that whilst watching it, but also keeping in mind that it is, like with these kind of animations that you see in it, it is all about this sort of spiral. And it is kind of like this spiral into madness. And you see him getting progressively more and more sort of erratic and that as the film goes on until the end where he really sort of kicks off at Madeline slash Judy. Uh, but yeah, so he they do fall in love incredibly quickly. But it's, I wonder if that's a lot to do with the mystery of her, isn't it? Mm. And also she's quite vulnerable. But this kind of annoyed me a bit as well, is she is very vulnerable and he sort of just puts it on her. Mm. And he kisses her very, very sort of quickly after they first meet. And that's his mate's wife. Mm. Like, I know it's not really, but as far as he's concerned, that is his mate's wife. So it's just a bit of like a dickhead move. But he is unstable, mm. I would say. And... Obviously, we get this little bit of backstory that he and Midge were engaged once and then br she broke it off. So that's interesting because it's like, well, why did she? Like, has he displayed this kind of behavior before as he kind of had mental health problems that she couldn't deal with as well as he had kind of obsessive behavior? So that's interesting as well. Um, I feel like I didn't really get any proper closure on Midge's character 
No. Like what, what happened to her? What was her end? And like, she's what, so likable. Where, where did she end up? Yeah, she's so likable. She's great, isn't and, she? And she cares so much for her friend who is a, you know, a bit, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a like a, he's been a great friend to her, but she seems like she's been a great friend mm. to him. Like you say, his behavior is just a little bit, a lot of it is, of, is clearly meant to be informed by his mental health. But then he also acts incredibly controllingly, uh, if that's a word. He's very mm. controlling towards Madeline or, or Judy, in fact. You know, he makes Judy change her appearance mm -hmm. to look yeah. like this woman who he loved who died. Um, and it only gets to a point where he realizes that they're the same person, where his behavior does worsen and he makes her go to back to the church. But until that point, he didn't know they were they were the same person. So he is, as far as he can tell, acting in this completely controlling and manipulative way towards this woman who he's going, he was he was seeing because she looks like another woman who died as far as he knows. So that was a little strange. It made him a little bit more unsympathetic, I guess. It made him a little bit harder to to um, get, you know, to like. But I also understand that it's meant to be capturing obsession. So mm. I don't know if the point is necessarily that you're supposed to like him. But I did struggle a little bit. And I don't know if that is because it's indicative of the time or if I'm maybe looking at it with a more unkind 2021 eye where, you know, Things aren't the same as 1958 for many, many positive reasons, I guess. I what, you know, what do you think in terms of his behavior towards her? Yeah, obsessive, controlling and all those things. And But does feel like it's all very much related to his mental health. And just thinking about, say, Norman Bates in Psycho. Like, Hitchcock doesn't really deal with heroes in the traditional sense, no. it seems. And you, your main character isn't necessarily the hero. Like, I don't think you should want to be like Scotty in um, in Vertigo. And it, it could have gone that way. Like, it could have been the story of, like, this ex-police officer who was dealing with, with this, you know, horrendous fear that he couldn't get over. And then you kind of go with him on his journey to getting over it. But the fact is, his only way of getting over it is whilst he's being really awful to Judy. But I don't think you're really meant to have sympathy with him. And I don't think Hitchcock intended for him to be that likable. So I think it's okay, if you know what I mean. Mm. Like, because he's not saying you know, this is how you should act. Or it's like, oh, look, and now he's gotten away with it too. I mean, he kind of, I mean, we don't know if he gets away with it because the end is so um, unclear, I suppose, like of what happens really afterwards. So it it kind of, it made him, you could you didn't really connect with him as much. And I wonder if that's another reason why maybe we didn't love it maybe as much as we could have done like because you do you do feel very connected to charlie chaplin in the great dictator and you do feel very connected to jane russell and marilyn monroe in gentlemen prefer blondes and it's just about whether the characters have they need to have a likability factor i think for you to be rooting for them and you want to see what happens in their life but with scotty you just don't really feel like that and it also felt a bit weird that so he's just discovered that the woman who he apparently loved more than anything else in the world isn't actually dead. And instead of taking the joy out of that, he 
goes down the absolute worst way. And he's like, you know, how dare you, you manipulated me? Why this? Why that? And it's like, she didn't really do any of it on purpose. Like she was hired by this guy to play a role. He probably paid her quite a decent wedge. Nice. Like, are you going to say no? A woman in 1958 to loads of cash? Maybe not, right? <laughs> so... But then she does try and explain herself and she says like, oh no, I really loved you too. And they do, like, they embark on a sort of relationship that they both kind of seem happy with. And then he just gets, he just gets so angry at her. And I just feel like, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because she did deceive him and it was, but then it's like he fell in love with her so quickly. It's like, is that real? Did you ever think that that was real love? You can't fall in love properly with someone after a couple of days. Right? I mean, maybe you can. I can't, but... <laughs> so, we'll move on to talking about the critical reception then. Now, I've picked this because it's a classic. So we know it's going to be up there. Uh, but let's see if we can decide if it's deserving of a classic status. I mean, we know it's a classic. How do you think it did? How do you think it does in terms of a rating on a, you know, on an internet site that was created many, many years after it was released? I I reckon it did pretty well. I think there was a lot sort of technique-wise about it that was very interesting and that was maybe quite groundbreaking for the time. I'm not super familiar with 1950s cinema, so I'm not sure like what they were doing at that time. But a lot of it, if you put yourself in that kind of mindset, a lot of it did feel quite fresh. And I think visually it was very interesting and the way it built the story and built the tension was quite good for the most part. I reckon I reckon it did quite well. And we know that people like go mad for Alfred Hitchcock and we know people go mad for Jimmy Stewart. And given that, like thinking back to some of the other classics that literally were getting like 80%, 90%, up to 100, I reckon it did quite well. So I would go definitely well into the 80s, I reckon. Let's say an 86 IMDb wise. You're not far wrong. Um, oh, yeah. IMDb, it gets 8.3 out of 10 at time of recording. Oh, I was a bit generous. Though. And then on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience give it 93%. Wow. And the critics give it 94%. Christ. I mean, that's got to be the most similar, that's got to be the most similar audience to critic score we've ever seen on Rotten Tomatoes. I th Yeah, I would say so, definitely. So the critics love these classic films, yeah. don't they? Yeah. They've been the biggest scorers of, of all and of that's them, why think. they're classics, you know. That's that's why that's why we're doing them. Um, so for me, so, so for you, is that is that deserving of its classic status? Is it deserving of those high scores? I think, in some regard, it is deserving of its classic status uh, for all the things that I just said about kind of the technique and it being a bit experimental. Some of the moments and some of the scenes were quite iconic, but something that I've found with the other classic films that we've done is so much more of them was kind of entrenched in our pop culture today like whether it was certain quotes certain lines or like certain bits of music whereas this I feel less so so I wonder if it is deserving of its classic status but maybe a bit less than the other films we've done if if you know what I mean. No, I think I think that's a good point. I I I would say I pretty much agree with you. I think that that I think it is deserving of its classic status. I think that it's its legacy in terms of the way it's influenced the way films are made now. You know, even right down to if you watch the opening chase sequence across the roof, it's really similar to the opening chase um, when they're chasing Trinity in the Matrix. 
There's lots of really similar oh, yeah. shots of them jumping onto sort of um, skylights and stuff. Point. Yeah, so so I think that Ooh. sort of thing, or the way it builds tension, or the way um, it's got, uh, even right down to things like I haven't quite the twist ended and that sort of thing, it, it is, it's clear to see that it sets a lot of the benchmarks for how to make a modern day thriller. So I think it's it's its legacy is is there for you to see. And I'm really glad I watched it. I am really glad I watched it. I didn't like it as much as I wanted to like it, but that is sort of my own takeaway from it. But I can see why it's deserving of its classic status. So for me, it is deserving of its classic status. I wish I'd enjoyed it more, but it's definitely deserving of its classic status. Yep, agreed. So there we go, another classic film in the bag. Uh, and whilst it may not have been as loved by us uh, as some of the others, I think it's definitely safe to say we're both glad that we watched it. Um, so Alice, it's your turn to pick next week. So what are we watching? Oh, right. Hold on to your hats, Josh. Okay. Oh, we're going to be watching Terminator Salvation. Terminator Salvation. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And we'll say no we more. We will say no more because I'm interested <laughs> in that one. Um, <laughs> Well, there we go. So join us next week for Terminator Salvation. Do feel free to give it a watch in the meantime if you haven't already seen it. I believe it's the fourth one. Am I right, Alice? It is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Terminator Salvation. Uh, in the meantime, if you could pop onto the, your Apple iTunes app and give us a five-star rating or review, we'd really appreciate it. It helps other people notice us and they can hear our opinions on Vertigo, if that matters to anybody. Um, oh, it does. I'm sure it does. <laughs> um, and in the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch, the email address is filmsandthatpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Just Films and That or Just Films and That Pod. And our website is www.justfilmsandthat pod.com alice thank you for joining me as ever it's been a pleasure josh and thank you uh, see you next week for terminator salvation cheerio bye Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 